Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Q. I want to talk to you about the reason we get to celebrate. Good Friday. If you were here for our Good Friday service, we talked about the work that Jesus Christ did. We talked about all the things that he went through. To, to, to break it down as simply as I can, out of chapter 27, it says that Jesus was scourged, which meant that there was a cat of nine tails or something very similar with bits of bone and iron attached to the tips of it. He took 39 stripes across his back, tearing the flesh from his bones, exposing the nerve endings, bleeding profusely. He did that so that we wouldn't have to. Amen? He was scourged. He was then gathered around by a cohort of Roman soldiers. People don't think about this, but a cohort could be upwards of 600 soldiers, and they beat him, and they spat on him, and they mocked him. Up to 600 people potentially beat on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so we could have the promise of an eternal salvation. I want you to think about that. 600 beatings this man took. Fully man, fully God, feeling every bit the pain that we would feel when it happened. Why? Because he loves us enough to have done it. They put a scarlet robe on him. They put a reed in his hand to mock him as the king, not knowing that they were in the face of the eternal king. They waited just long enough for his blood to saturate that scarlet robe and they ripped it back off of his flesh. And then took the reed out of his hand and beat him with that. From there, they continued the mocking. They caused him, required him, made him pick up a timber. His own cross and carry it. I don't care how bad they've made it look on television. It's not as, it's, it's worse than that. Can I tell you, the timber that Jesus, wood in that area of the country, long, straight timbers, because of that area, that region, is hard to come by. So they would reuse cross timbers. There's a decent probability that Jesus didn't hang on a cross that just belonged to him. So when he picked it up, it was already drenched in blood. It already smelled like death. It was jagged. And so every step that he took, he smelled the stench of death. He felt those wood timbers grinding into an openly exposed nerves in his back. And he carried it to the hill of Golgotha where they threw him upon it and pierced him to it. 
That's what Jesus did for us. This is the work that was done on our behalf so that we might be atoned for and so that we might be bought back from the enemy. I think we take this work too lightly because we've grown comfortable in hearing it. We've grown used to hearing it. But it's a horrible thing. But that's not why we're here today. We're here today to celebrate that the resurrection proves all of that was worth it. Amen? We are here to celebrate today that the work done by Christ is proven in Christ's resurrection. Everything that He did is proven because He is no longer in the tomb. I'm excited today. I'm trying, I'm trying not to scream and jump up and down and get my tambourine out. But I, there is a time when Christians should be excited about the fact that you're not going to see hell and Jesus proved it. But we've heard the message so many times. We sit in our comfortable chairs, in our comfortable churches, in our comfortable air conditioning. And we listen to the preacher proclaim the truth no matter how vehemently, boldly, and declaratively he states it. And we just sit and we listen because we've grown accustomed to it. I don't want you to grow accustomed to the message today. I want you to celebrate the message today. I want you to celebrate that because Jesus did, we are. Man, that's so good. We serve a resurrected Christ. Everything, all we are, all we have, all that we hope for is predicated on the resurrection. If that didn't happen, he was just another loudmouth guy that talked about being God. The council, the Pharisees, got together when they were... <clears throat> in the book of Acts and they said they said or Gamaliel got up and said listen don't beat them or, or don't don't kill them don't persecute them let them go talking about the disciples because everybody that's ever declared themselves the Christ up till now when they died everybody left and if he's not if he wasn't the Christ these will leave too they didn't leave they didn't leave. Matter of fact, they were persecuted their whole life. They were martyred, sawn in half, burned in oil. Because they realized that whatever life they had to give was important enough to give to have the hope of eternity proven in the resurrection. us they, the, the New Testament and the Old Testament just discuss the proofs of the resurrection Isaiah 26 19 says 
Your dead will live, your corpses will rise. Job 19, 25 through 27, which I, I love this because I can, I feel like sometimes I can relate to Job. My life's upside down. I'm sitting on my ash heap. I'm picking at sores or there's this stuff going on around me. And everybody that I know that you're trying to tell is all, well, what did you do? Sometimes you just want ministry and people, you just want somebody to come around you and love you, but instead they want to criticize you or talk to you like you're crazy. I can, I've been Job, amen? But this is what Job said in the middle of his mess. Knowing, confident, I'm sure, that he was going to ultimately die. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Even after I'm dead, once my flesh is completely destroyed, I'm going to see God because my Redeemer lives. You're going to see life no matter what happens to you because your Redeemer lives. Woo. Hebrews eleven nineteen. 19, Abraham said this. He was willing to sacrifice his son in faith because he considered that God is able to raise even men from the dead. What are you willing to suffer? What are you willing to celebrate? Because God did everything necessary to ensure that we have the hope of a resurrection. In the New Testament, we read Corinthians 15, 20, and 22, but now Christ has been raised. Everybody say, Christ has been raised. raised. Now only say it if you mean it. All right. From the dead, the first fruits of those who were asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Amen. There's a truth and a hope in this statement. The truth is, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's the truth. It's not subjective to your opinion. It doesn't matter what you think about it. The evidence declares Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, within this statement, there's also two statements of hope. That He is the first fruits of the resurrection that he's proven that a resurrection will happen and that in Christ all of us who are in him will be made alive too this should comfort us because life in lieu of eternity is about that long it's tough, it's hard I struggle persecuted for that long We worry about the application process when we should be worried about the job. Mm. To deny the resurrection of Christ is to deny being a Christian. And the resurrection should provoke us. The resurrection should move us to something. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I don't want to talk to you about the suffering of Christ. We talked about that already. 
Easter is a celebration. And I want to talk to you about the reason we get to celebrate. Out of Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Can I warn you, as I often do, there's a couple of times, Easter, Christmas, usually Mother's Day or Father's Day, I'll use a text that people are so familiar with they just stop listening. Oh, he's going to preach out of Matthew 28, 1 through 10. I've heard that story a thousand times. I know what he's going to say. You probably do. You know why? Because there's nothing new under the sun. But can I tell you, just because you've heard it before doesn't mean you shouldn't hear it again because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You want to know that you can have faith when your world's upside down to know that your world at some point is going to end and you'll be with Christ Jesus forever? Build your faith in the word of God. Don't be complacent with, with that which should excite you. Amen. 28, 1 through 10 reads like this. Now after the Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other women came to look at the grave. There were other people there, but for whatever reason, Matthew concentrated on these two. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. This isn't in the lesson, but I want you to listen to me. Horrible doctrine has done much damage to the church. Horrible theology has done much damage to the church. That angel did not roll the stone away so that Jesus could get out. He didn't move the stone for Jesus. He moved the stone to prove Jesus. Because they couldn't see through it. Jesus was already gone when that stone was rolled away. Jesus doesn't need something He created to do a work for Him. I just want to set the record straight. My God is powerful enough that He doesn't need someone else doing His work. Now, praise God, He's given us the ability to. So that's not part of it. Let's move on. And his appearance was like lightning, this angel. And his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook with fear of him and became like dead men. An angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that what you were... Hold on, I lost my plate. Do not be afraid, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he had risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly and with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. 
I want to talk today about what the resurrection provokes in us or what the resurrection should provoke in us. The resurrection should provoke fear in us. See, there's two kinds of fear spoken about in this text, verses 1 through 7. There's a non-relational fear, which is a true terror, and a relational fear, which is reverence. That non-relational fear, that terror feel, the fear that's spoken of in 2 through 4. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel of the Lord caused them to shake with fear can I tell you it's okay for the church to be scared of an almighty God people are all I don't fear the Lord I reverence the Lord until he shows up in here and then you're going to do exactly what they did you're going to fall dead like dead men flat on your face and wonder what in the world is this you're going to come to the realization of how filthy and how disgusting and how incapable you are of saving yourself from your own sin, and you're going to fall flat out in the glory of God. This is what this angel showed them, the glory of God. It said that, there, that he shone like lightning, and he was, his linens were white as snow. He had been in the presence of God and reflected the glory of God. Now, he was just reflecting the glory of God and it freaked these dudes out. Imagine if God showed up. We need to learn to be fearful, truly fearful of the fact that we are incapable. We have an inability to save ourselves from the consequence of our sin. That's what this should provoke us to, a provocation of understanding. I really am a dead man were it not for God showing up in my life. But praise God, there's a reverential fear too. There's a relational fear. I feel bad for these ladies. They were probably good, they, they were obviously good women, loved Jesus. But they didn't go there expecting the promise he gave them. Said that they had gathered their little herbs and spices and whatnot to marinate him or whatever. I checked the temperature of Jerusalem on Google this morning about the time that the sun would come up there. And it would have been, a, today it was 46 degrees. So these women got up early, prepared these spices, went out probably while it was dark at sunrise because they had a reverence for Jesus but didn't know who he was. Not really. Because he told them who he was. 
The angel says this, do not be afraid. Don't be terrorized. For I know that you were looking for Jesus who has been crucified. They were looking for a man who had been crucified. Not a God that had promised he wouldn't be there. We should have a fear of God that is reverential, that brings us to a place that we understand by the Holy Spirit in us that what he has told us is true. That he's not there, that he is risen. And this should bring us to a point of awe. Because in the resurrection, in this holy fear, in this awe, you know what we realize? That Jesus really is the king. That Jesus really is the word. That Jesus really is the creative power in the universe. That Jesus really did walk in flesh amongst us. That Jesus really did take on flesh and live as one of us to prove to us that holiness and righteousness is possible. And in all of that demonstrated God's beauty because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in all of his excellencies, all of his love, all of his beauty, all of his magnificence, everything that he is and everything that he demonstrated himself to be is true. It's true because the tomb was empty. And that's reason to celebrate. Because I'm a sinner lost, dying, and going to hell if it's not true. But it is true. And because it is true, it should provoke something else in me. It should provoke joy in me. Verse 8 says this, and they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. Joy. You know what's frustrating to me? Can I just be transparent with y'all? Y'all know I'm normally very stoic. <laughs> Those of y'all that don't go here, I'm, I'm never stoic. I'm transparent to a fault probably. You know what frustrates me? People that say amen to every truth I just declared and then walk in the house like this is a funeral. That live their life as though their death has already started. There are people in this room that I watch and it doesn't matter what you do to them, what you say to them, how you say it to them, they're going to put a smile on their face because they are people of joy not because of their circumstance, but because of who they belong to. I look at Brother Leonard. I look at Brother Dallas. I've never seen Brother Dallas mad. Now, I'm not part of Brother Dallas's family, so I, I, he might have been mad at some point. But let me tell you, when he leaves his house, he's a person of joy, which is infectious. We should be people of joy because it's not a rumor it's not a lie that Jesus is alive 
It's the truth. 1 John says this. In verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. John, you guys know John, right? John the Beloved, like the one that Jesus loved the most. So the one that would have known the best, probably. What was from the beginning that we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that capitalized being Jesus. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. You know who was manifested to them? Jesus. What, do you, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write, don't miss this, so that our joy may be made complete. He said, listen, you can have complete joy because I've seen him. I've talked to him. I've touched him. I bear testimony and witness to the fact that everything that he said was going to happen, it happened. It's not a rumor. I don't care what your grandmama told you. I don't care what your mean uncle told you. You should be a person of joy because that is the truth. The resurrection is true. We should be people of joy because our sins have been forgiven. Because in the resurrection, the proof that we were redeemed is revealed. Are y'all excited even just a little bit? Because the Bible tells us in Romans 5.12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So one man, Adam, sinned. And sin became part of our DNA. But, Death spread to all men because all have sinned. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death, but... Everybody loves that wages of sin is death. Especially those really finger-wagging preacher folks. Wages of sin is death. You're going to hell. You're missing the point of the verse. The wages of sin is death, but salvation is the free gift of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the important part of the text. That we deserve hell because we're sinners, but we can have joy because salvation is a free gift from God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why I have joy. Because I know it doesn't matter if I die right now. If I don't get an opportunity to finish this sentence, I'll see you when you get there. We have joy because in Christ Jesus, the power of death has been destroyed. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. He became flesh and blood too that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. He snatched the power of death away from the devil. Nope, that don't belong to you, man. 
belongs to me. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. It's the reason why we can say, death has no sting for me. I'm not held by the slavery of the fear of death. Why would I be? The proof, the evidence found in the resurrection is that death isn't for me anyway. Chapter 28. <laughs> I love what David says in regard to the to eternity in, in Acts chapter 2. He, actually, Peter's saying he's quoting David. But I want you to realize that David, when he originally said it, was saying it looking forward to a Savior. We say it looking backwards to a cross. So I'm going to read it backwards. Verse 28. We have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exulted, praised, and celebrated. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Isn't that beautiful? when you look back to the cross that he's not going to leave you and he's not going to allow you to be shaken that he's going to hold you in his righteous right hand God's love is so good the resurrection should provoke us to worship verse 9 and behold Jesus met them and greeted them and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him This should be us. Can I ask you a question, just a very sincere question, and you take it home, and I want you to think about it for a while. When was the last time you got on your carpet and stretched your hands out to find the feet of Jesus? Jesus died to give us the right to worship him. He was resurrected to prove that we could. How do we worship? It's not enough to say, hey, you need to be a worshiper. That's great. I don't know what that word means exactly. Paul says it as well as I can say it better, probably. 12.1, he just very simply says this. Therefore, this is Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship he said let me tell you how to worship stop being you consecrate yourself set yourself aside to Jesus 
and spend every energy, every thought, every action, every imagination thinking about worshiping and praising the God that not only died to save you, but resurrected to prove that salvation to you. This is our spiritual act of service or spiritual service of worship. This is our expectation. This is what a Christian does. Well, man, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't spend much time in worship. Christians worship. Finally, the resurrection should provoke hope. Verse 10, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren, and leave for Galilee, and there you will see me. To them he was saying, You're going to see me again in Galilee. To you he says, You're going to see me again in eternity. The hope that they had that they'd see him in a couple of days is the same hope you're going to have that you have, you're going to see him at the end of your life. But it's not some flim flammy weak hope. It's not a man, I hope that works out. Or man, I hope that happens. Let me tell you, when we have a hope in Christ Jesus founded on the truth of God's word, that's a fact. We are provoked to hope as a matter of fact that Jesus Christ died to save us and proved it in the resurrection. I am not ashamed because my Savior lives. I am not a false witness because my Savior lives. I am still not in my sin because my Savior lives. These are the hopes promised and proven in Corinthians chapter 15. My Savior lives. And if you know Him, yours do too. But if you don't, none of these promises are for you. I hated to just suck the red off your lollipop right then. But it's the only way I know to tell you. I will not be responsible for not telling you the truth. If you do not make a confession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your Lord, that you're going to obey and be obedient to Him, if you don't believe that God raised Him from the dead and make a declaration of that truth, you are not saved. Christ died so that you wouldn't have to worry about that. If you have allowed yourself, according to Hebrews 2.1, you didn't pay attention and you allowed yourself to slip away. Can I tell you that rope that's hanging off of you, God still wants to grab a hold of and pull you back. He just wants you to acknowledge who He is the work he's done on your behalf and live like that work was done on your behalf. I don't know where you are today, but I started this teaching today with a prayer. Holy Spirit, if there's anybody that doesn't know you or has allowed themselves to fall away, 
Make yourself known to them today. Today of all days. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've committed previously and you've allowed yourself to fall away or you've never spoken the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit calls you because only the Holy Spirit can. I can't provoke you to salvation and wouldn't want to if I could. 